Welcome to Just to Know You, the podcast that interviews regular people at SAES and finds out they are far from regular. That's right. I'm your host, Darian Batten. And I'm Angela Kerskadden. Let's get started. Welcome, Mary Beth, to Just to Know You. <laughs> Hi, Angela. This is so exciting. Yay! I really appreciate um, you being one of our first people. Um, I know it always takes a little more kind of bravery to be first, so thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, so we usually like to start off our podcast by asking a little bit about your past and um, where you come from. Okay, perfect. So I was actually born in Brooklyn, New York. Oh, cool. I'm a New York City native. Mm-hmm. I moved to New Jersey when I was just about 11 months old. Then my brothers came along shortly after that. Okay, how many? So two brothers. Okay. Two younger brothers. Um, one brother actually we're Irish twins so he just turned 49 and I'm about to turn 50 <laughs> in about 10 days I'm really so excited. yes wow so and then my other brother is is about 47 and he so he lives in Oregon Portland Oregon and my other brother currently lives on the big island of Hawaii then I left New Jersey and went to undergraduate at Univer- the University of Vermont I actually ended up staying there well later on I went to graduate school. I returned to Vermont in mm-hmm. my early 30s, but after right after uh, undergraduate days, I actually did a couple of um, service jobs. AmeriCorps. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a, yeah, yeah. It's sort of like they call it the Domestic Peace Corps. Yeah. And so I did that for two years. Okay. Before going into the actual Peace Corps. Okay. In Mar- and I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Morocco, but the uh, AmeriCorps jobs were in Idaho and Washington State. So I had never really lived on the West Coast. I was in Vermont and I moved cross country. I was 24, 23. And what was like your biggest takeaway from your AmeriCorps times? Oh, that's a really great question. I would have to say the need in the U.S. Sometimes we don't think about how much need yeah. there is yeah, sure. in the U.S. I mean, not everybody is super wealthy with yep. millions of dollars. <laughs> yeah, and there are some very, very poor areas yeah. in the U.S. And uh, you know, I haven't been in—I haven't lived in the U.S. for 13 years now, mm-hmm. so I don't know exactly if the gap is getting wider. Mm-hmm. I. I Sometimes I think it is because I hear about housing and all that, mm. the housing crisis. But yeah, that was one of the biggest shocks for me, just to see not all communities are super wealthy and right. there's, yeah. But then. And then you went to Morocco. And then I went to Morocco. So what yes. made you decide to apply to the Peace Corps? Well, actually, I decided to apply to the Peace Corps because back in my undergraduate days at the at the University of Vermont, I was an environmental studies major. I was going to ask you what you <laughs> took. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was, and uh, I one class I took was about solutions mm-hmm. to environmental problems. Yeah, it was mostly about that. And so I did a paper on the Peace Corps. Oh. And I learned all about it. I hadn't yeah. really known much about it. So that's how I initially became interested. And I thought, yeah, I want to do this. And I remember my brother who lives in Oregon now, he was saying, he said goodbye to me at the airport. And he said, well, congratulations on your four and a half years of service. I had finished two years of AmeriCorps <laughs> and uh, was about to start my 
two years, two months yep. in the Peace Corps. Yeah. And uh, so Morocco was, I was 25 when I left. So yeah. I had never lived abroad before. My only trip actually out of the country was, well, trips to Canada, to Montreal. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I went on a high school trip to France. 10-day wow. trip, yeah. That was my first time on an airplane, actually. <laughs> wow. And then you went to Morocco. Then I went to Morocco. Okay. Yeah. So... Did you live in a main city in Morocco? Or? Actually, no. I... We did our... We all did our training. So mm -hmm. they called it a stage in French. Um, we... Uh, there were about 75 of us. And we were trained in Arabic language, but then we were also trained in Berber languages in Morocco. Yeah, there's three different Berber languages. I learned Tamazert, and it turns out I was going to be sent to a very rural uh, village in the eastern um, High Atlas Mountains, near, somewhat near Algeria, actually, if you're looking on a map, and very far away from Rabat, the capital. Uh, but I was up for the challenge. I was pretty much into this adventure and yeah. <laughs> so when I look back on it I, I I'm shocked at myself actually yeah. thinking I went to this extremely rural <laughs> but basically all the women lived like they were in the 14th century with really? you know, looms and uh, weavings and shawls and it was very tribal I went to a little town called Imilshil which actually has has a festival each year called the wedding festival so I, it's pretty well known there is a big spread in it about um in national geographic oh, about cool. this so yeah so but it was very very tribal i would i uh learned berber uh i was able to speak Tamazert up to say I would say like the level of a kindergartner by the, <laughs> by the time I was done and then my French improved a lot because right. I, I used French to speak with my supervisor my Moroccan supervisor he was the head of the park the national park that I basically worked for because okay. I, I my job title yeah, was, was um, parks wildlife environmental educator parks wildlife yeah so basically I ended up organizing some environmental education conferences oh neat. yeah local ones yeah and then a big national one for teachers from all over wow. Morocco so those are my big projects wow. per se oh I have so many questions <laughs> okay so you speak French and Berber well Berber I would say not really <laughs> well have you ever used it since you left I have not oh I did I used it once really in a in a restaurant in New York City right near NYU I was turning 27 yeah. November 28th <laughs> coming soon right um, and my mom organized a, a birthday party for me at yeah. this Moroccan restaurant called cookies and couscous uh, and it, I had just been back for a couple months uh, so my Berber was still pretty fresh. Yeah. The Tamazert was still there. So the uh, the Berber ladies in the back helping out in the kitchen, they were cousins or relatives of the guy who owned the place. Um, they came out and we spoke Berber. Oh, wow. It was pretty fun. They were shocked. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> this American woman is speaking our language, our local Berber dialect. Oh, that's yeah. so cool. It was fun. Yeah. yeah. And then when did you learn French? 
Oh, okay, good question. I started learning French uh, oh, in middle school, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I took it and started in seventh grade. Wow. I, yeah, we in our school in New Jersey, our, high, our, our middle school, my parents actually moved to Basking Ridge, New Jersey. I don't know if anybody's heard of that, but it, it was, my parents were very targeted in their decision because <laughs> they knew Ridge High School was one of the best high schools in the country. Gotcha. So, yeah, they planned it that way. Yeah. But it used to be actually where the uh, headquarters of AT&T It looked oh, like a okay. big, giant Japanese uh, pagoda building. Yeah. So, anyway, we moved there. So we had a lot of choices. And we were able to take German, Latin, Spanish, and French. And then we had to just choose one language to follow. So I took it through high school. But I actually really couldn't speak it. Right. <laughs> Even by I, the end of high school. I know. Right. Yeah. And so my junior year at University of Vermont, I forgot to mention this, I actually did study abroad. Oh. Uh, so that was actually my second time in an airplane before yeah. Morocco. Madagascar was not a country that my parents wanted. My mom did not want me to go there. You went to Madagascar for your study abroad? I did, yes. <laughs> <laughs> my mom tried to talk me out of it. She said, why can't Why can't you just go to France? Right. <laughs> Normal people. But I think at that point I was very much into this environmental, uh, environmentalist mentality, yeah. this agenda of saving the environment. Sure. I went, even though my mother did and not was want it me to. Was it dangerous in that It wasn't dangerous so much. I, I think it might actually be more dangerous now. Okay. Because it was so, so undeveloped. I mean, going flying into Tana, the capital, in 1993. Yeah. It was a long time ago. Uh, it was actually not paved. Oh, the wow. runway was not paved. The capital city. Wow. Yeah. I was I was really struck by the poverty. I, it is one of the ten poorest countries in the world, yeah. and it has a lot of environmental issues. But I picked it because of the biodiversity there. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Really amazing. And of course, it's all under threat with mining yeah. and corruption and all that and erosion. But. Um, yeah, I think that's what drew me. The biodiversity of Madagascar really just it was amazing to see lemurs, not just one species of yeah. lemur, but like, you know, seven different baobab trees on the island. You have such an adventurous spirit. <laughs> where, th- where do you think that comes from? You know, it's funny. I don't. I don't know. I. 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 I don't think my parents were all that adventurous, but mm-hmm. they've always been. My parents have always been very, except for Madagascar, when my mom <laughs> tried to talk me out of it. But she. I mean, they. I, my dad did almost go into the Peace Corps, okay. so maybe he does. Maybe he has some kind of core adventurous spirit. And he. They did come to Saudi Arabia to visit me. Yeah. My second year, which was very special, and my dad was talking about how he wanted to go to Jeddah and here and there, but we really didn't have that much time. So You know, my dad has a theory that um, children often try to live out their parents' dreams. And his example was that um, his dad tried to be a farmer uh, his whole life to varying levels of success. And so when my dad became a a young adult, he attempted to be a farmer, also um, to varying levels of success. And um, yeah, it's interesting because then when, as you're talking, I'm wondering, thinking about like my travel and I was like, I feel like in some ways like my parents were always very like you know they always talked about traveling in such a positive light I wonder if I kind of tried to live out those interesting I don't know that's fascinating that is an interesting theory and that would hold true for my grandfather
father and my dad. Yeah? My grandfather was a journalist, Mm -hmm. um, and my dad was a journalist for a while. Yeah, he he wrote. Okay, so how did you make the jump from environmental uh, conservation mm-hmm. to speech pathologist, oh. which is what you are at Rostener Elementary School? And yes. I forgot to kind of mention no, that at the okay. beginning. I know, it's really like, wow, environmental studies <laughs> to communication <laughs> sciences, or they used to call it communication sciences and disorders back in the day. Okay. Yeah. But now it's, I think, communication sciences. Okay. Right. Okay, so I came back from the Peace Corps, mm-hmm. but I didn't mention that as an undergrad, I had a friend who was actually a communication sciences major, okay. undergraduate. And I also forgot to tell you in my in my opening story that I am a person who stutters, and oh. you may not pick up on it Do not. listening to and me And I've speak. known you for years, yeah, and, and you I've never no- picked up on oh, it. Oh, yeah. So I... I I don't hide my stuttering too much. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I was just teaching uh, this class with some teachers today, yeah. and uh, I did stutter on one word, and I just kind of let it out. And yeah. I don't, you know, as a child, I was painfully shy, and yeah. I didn't. I was a late talker, so I didn't start talking till I was four. Really? Yeah. But I guess back in the 70s, parents are a little bit more, parents were a little bit more laid back yep. about these things. Yeah, yep. They're like, well, she can do puzzles. <laughs> <laughs> she smiles a lot. She's fine. I don't know. But anyway, it turned out okay, I guess. Um, and so I, but I was very shy all through my elementary years and afraid to talk. I would get very, like, sweaty palms and, and my heart would start beating really fast if I was called on. And yeah. so, yeah, that was hard for me. But that, it, you know, then my friend who was a CSND major said, well, you know, there's a stuttering group, stuttering support group at U- University of Vermont, and it's run by Barry Guitar, who was the stuttering professor okay. in the graduate program of the program I would later go on to join. Yeah. <laughs> so I said, well, yeah, why not? I'll go to this group and see what it's all about. So there were mostly adults. And then there was like a nine-year-old boy whose most severe stutter I'd ever seen in my life. He was like, I was really shocked. And that is actually one of the best things for a stutterer is to know that they aren't alone. Yeah. And so it was really nice. I, I think I went a few times. I don't think I went for a long time, but... This little boy, he was, you know, he was stuttering so much. His prolongations it took him about a minute to just get one word out. You know, like ah, 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 that's that's how severe his stutter was. So. Yeah. Anyway. My friend said, well, you know, you could become a speech pathologist. It's really boring because you just sit there <laughs> practicing sounds with kids like Bob, 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 Bob. sales Bob. pitch. I know. I was like, and I said, no, I definitely don't want to do that. That sounds awful. You know, forget about that. And then I don't know what happened. I think I, I still thought about it. I took a class or two, communication sciences, language, just undergrad classes. Mm-hmm. Then, But then I was still environmental studies. Then, what happened? I came back from the Peace Corps. Yeah. And I kind of was like, well, I do like to work with students. I know I don't want to be a classroom teacher Mm because I'm definitely an introvert. Mm -hmm. 
And tell me, sorry, in your journey with your stuttering, at 20, you came back from the Peace Corps at 27. 27, yes. And I was still stuttering. Okay, I was going to ask that. But I didn't, you know, when I spoke French and Berber, it didn't really impact me that much. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what they say when you're speaking a foreign language or singing. You know, Carly Simon, she was a famous person who stutters. And her mom told her to start singing uh, to to eradicate her stammer. Mm -hmm. And it worked for her. Wow. I know. But I came back and I was I was thinking, well, I could be an environmental educator and get paid like eighteen thousand dollars a year. Sure. Have the poverty line yep. for Vermont. Right. <laughs> I don't know what it is now. <laughs> but I did I did interview for some of those jobs, yeah. like Shelburne Farms in Vermont, which is like an environmental education organization. Places like that. But then I was also doing job shadows with school counselors and speech pathologists. I don't know what kept that idea of speech pathology in the back of my head. I think, actually, I I was working for the Agency of Human Services in Vermont. It was my first real job, actually, in an office. Cool. (laughs) You feel so professional. (laughs) Yeah, I was a little intimidating, though, to answer the phone. (laughs) But... I, I, yeah, but I heard somebody talking about speech pathology in the bathroom. They were in a conference, and I thought, oh, yeah, that job. My friend said it's so boring, but hmm. She was like, I want to become an SLP. It's a great job. Mm. And I thought, huh, okay. And then I just spent the whole, like, the next six months just asking uh, counselors and speech pathologists at schools to observe. It was just a few people. And yeah. I said, I finally decided. It just seemed to make sense, actually. Mm. The, the SLP job, but I still think what a great job that would be to be a counselor. Yeah. But I'm, I don't regret my decision at all. Yeah. And it really is definitely more dynamic mm-hmm. than <laughs> sitting practicing sounds. Right. <laughs> How has your experience with your stuttering made you a better speech oh. language pathologist? Oh, okay. That's a great question. I would say... I definitely have a lot of empathy for mm, children mm. who stutter. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times, uh, sometimes children stutter at our school, and they may just they may just be learning a different language. Right. Sometimes you can. There's a big. Sometimes there's a difference. Mm-hmm. But there have been um, quite a few children at our school over the years I've been here. Young children who definitely showed signs of true stuttering, mm-hmm. where they're stuttering just beginnings of sounds and not whole words or phrases that that could be considered typical disfluency in young children like I want I want I want the toy oh. versus I w- 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 right. want the toy that's that sometimes is a sign of more somebody who's going to persist in their stuttering so I would say about three four five to six children over the time I've been here I've worked with them on an early childhood program mm-hmm. called the Lidcom therapy which is based out of Australia and it's had, had they've done lots of research and it's um, very effective in okay. actually eliminating stuttering. That's what I was going to say. Is there typically mm-hmm. a really like successful high success rate? Yeah, there is, and that's why I think so many SLPs love the Lidcom program because mm-hmm. if you start, say, even at age three, mm-hmm. sometimes it's harder when the child is becoming six and older. Then the patterns are more ingrained. Right. But I like even just last year, I worked with three. K-4 students using the Litcom program and their parents, the mom, Mm. the moms would come in once a week and I would work with the mom. So I was more of the facilitator and the coach and mom was doing the program daily at home. And 
it was just so much fun to have that yeah. mom, that weekly mom interaction, and then we would get the child and have them in my office. So yeah, yeah, oh, I really, really loved very that. Very cool. Mm -hmm. It's harder when kids are older and they've been stuttering for a long time. Yeah, I'm sure. The patterns are more ingrained, or you know, adolescents or adults who stutter. You know, it tends to be more about stuttering modification versus becoming fluent. Mm -mm. And this, it, actually, fluency is sort of an unrealistic goal, mm. oftentimes for people who stutter, mm. especially if they're past the preschool age. Yeah. <laughs> and the newest thinking about stuttering therapy is really embracing stuttering. Yeah. And not trying to hide it or be yeah. ashamed or be ashamed. Of, mm -hmm. We don't want to be ashamed of it. Sure. Be proud of yeah. who you are. Yeah. Right. A lot of what's very interesting about people who stutter is a lot of a lot of people who stutter are highly sensitive. They call them highly sensitive people. Okay. And I would I definitely think I'm I fit that category. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I do feel emotions. I, I mean, I feel. I, Why do you think that is? I think it has something to. I know there's research that's been done about this, mm -hmm. and there is something that has to do with just the. The way the brain uh, works mm. in a stutterer's in a stutterer's brain, mm. I can't quite. I wish I could t quote an article or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But no, that's a super interesting idea. Yeah. Um, okay, so you talked briefly, uh, or you mentioned that you just kind of flew in here from teaching a class. Yes. Um, so tell me about your latest passion project. Could I call it that? Oh yeah, for sure. Okay. In fact, actually, passion project is a perfect word to describe it. Yay. So the class is called Happy for no reason mm -hmm. and it's cultivating happiness from the inside out awesome yeah how did you come across how did I come across this class yeah so I was feeling a little bit down I would say at the beginning of this year yeah. I, my dad was really sick last yeah. year yeah and I was just I came back to Saudi Arabia and I was just like hmm I wanted I was really looking for some more meaning and a little bit more happiness yeah. in my life and I stumbled upon this class. It was the end, the beginning of March. I saw it posted, and I was I was actually in this other group um, called Your Year of Miracles, <laughs> which is not anything I've ever been in before, but it's been really fun too. But one of the ladies in charge of that group, her name is Marcy Shimoff. <laughs> in fact, here's the book mm -hmm. right here. So here's Marcy. Yeah. And here's her book, and she has run this class every year for the past I don't know seven or eight years. So this she, is an online online yeah, it's fully online it started at the end of March and it went through until the middle of June and and was this synchronous or asynchronous like did you have to log on in it the was middle synchronous of the night? okay but at 10 o'clock okay so I only had to, I only lost a little bit of sleep fortunately okay. so every other week Marcy would come on and teach she would train the trainers right. and so 250 of us signed on yeah it was a bit of an investment you know like a graduate school class yeah. it was the best class I've ever taken I mean it was so fun the class were about an hour and a half every other week Great. and then every, the alternate weeks we had her assistants kind of talk to us and give us support like study group sessions yeah I submitted two videos showing myself leading the classes okay. two classes telling talking about my happiness story which you've heard some of right now yeah. <laughs> and then um, teaching one of the pillars of happiness which if you take my class I'm going to be offering it yay community education in Rustinora oh, good yeah. for you yeah. when you just talked about it right there um, you just touched your heart and you said I did <laughs> I didn't even notice <laughs> what is it about this class that touches your heart oh gosh well one of the pillars 
place of happiness Mm -hmm. in your home for happiness is actually the pillar of the heart. Mm -hmm. And so we spend a whole class just on how to open your heart and how to love more freely and express more gratitude. Because I know we hear gratitude, 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 but um, and how to be more forgiving, which also opens up your heart. So a lot of times people think, right, I'll be happy when... Yeah. Or I'll be happy if. Yeah. And maybe some people in Saudi Arabia or wherever you might be in the world are thinking, oh, gosh, if only I was not here and there, mm-hmm. I would be happy. But the, but the reality is, and as I've learned this from taking the class and teaching it, the reality is you can only be happy in the moment, in the present moment. You don't think you can be happy if you look back on your, like, years and you say, like, those were happy years or... Yeah, tell me more. Sure, yeah, sure. You can think of with... You can have fond memories Mm -hmm. of your past, Mm -hmm. but you can't really rely on your past Mm -hmm. to make you happy happy in the present. To make you happy in the present. So you really have to kind of look at what's right in front of you. Okay. And make the most of it. Right, so, so the uh, the metaphor for the class is you're building your home for happiness, and so the so the first step mm-hmm. is the foundation. Yeah, got to build your foundation. Then the four pillars to hold up the walls would be your the pillar of the mind. Okay. Don't believe everything you think. Yeah, pillar of the pillar of the heart. Yeah. The pillar of the soul, yeah. so plugging into the higher higher powers, whatever that might be for you, whatever religion. The pillar of the body, so health and creating a, creating healthy eating habits and exercise mm-hmm. that will produce the brain chemicals that you need for happiness. So how do you measure how happy you are? Ah, good question. So the measurement I had participants uh, complete at the beginning of the class was the happy for no reason questionnaire Okay. to rate your level of happy for no reason. And I did not ask for them to share, but I wanted, I asked them to keep their scores yeah. safe. Yeah. And then actually um, next week, which is our last class, uh, I'm going to have them do the questionnaire again and see, I'm hoping every single person without exception will have <laughs> significantly or even just a little bit increased their happy for no reason. So happy for no reason most of the time or all of the time, some of the time and hardly ever. So hoping... And has this kind of like journey on, into this happiness kind of transformed your levels of happiness? It has, yeah. I think my level of happiness has gone up by 20 points because when I started the class, the training class in March, yeah, I was I had one score and then it was like 60-something and then I just took it at the end at, in August. And, yeah, it was 20 points higher. Wow. So that's, that's, yeah, it is hard to measure happiness sometimes, but they do, there is a lot of research and lots of books about all aspects of happiness. So part of me thinks it would be so great to get a, another degree, although I don't necessarily want to get another degree, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, a certificate or maybe a degree in positive psychology. Sure. Although I don't, I'm not sure how that would translate to a future job. When uh, COVID first hit and everything was really like, uh, you know, in flux and you read what you're supposed to do. And I signed up for a free class through, I think it was Yale. 
well. And it was Laura Santos. Laura, yeah, Laura Santos, I believe is her name. And she does the happiness lab. And oh. her, um, she teaches a happiness class at Yale. And her class is, is the most popular class they offer. Yes. And um, and so she had a free class. And so I took it mm -hmm. online. And just because I felt like, I was like, ah, oh, this COVID is, is, it's hard. And how do we mm -hmm. navigate it? And I, it was really, really good. I really enjoyed it. And I agree there is a lot of research about what makes mm -hmm. you happy and what doesn't make mm -hmm. you happy. And I think, like, I had a couple of takeaways from it. And one was your happiness depends on your point of reference and who you compare yourself to. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was, and I, I'm mindful of that often. And I find myself kind of, like, yes. bringing it up when I'm kind of thinking through something. And I'm like, but if I, and I try to remove my comparative like standpoint right. and be like, well, maybe I shouldn't compare to whatever this group or that group or whatever it is. It's just a natural, I think, right. human instinct. Yeah. Do you talk about that at all with your? Well, we don't talk about that so much, but I would agree with you. Okay. It, it is because you, you know that there's always going to be somebody who's better than you. Sure. Or, always. or you're better than somebody. Or right? richer or skinnier yeah, or exactly. prettier or happier or <laughs> whatever. Yeah, but the uh, the key with happy for no reason is 40% of your happiness is determined by your habits. Ah, yeah. I love that. Yes. And so so 50% of your, and they call it your happiness set point, which, you know, like people have a weight set point. I think they tend to go back to a certain weight. Sure. They could exercise all the time and then go back to that certain point. So what, what Marcy calls um, the happiness set point is made up of 50% genetics, 40% hmm. habits, and only 10% circumstances. So hmm. when I started the class and, and learned this, I was actually really shocked. Like, oh, wow, so me living in Saudi Arabia really has very little to do with my happiness level. Hmm. And where I feel like some people, wherever they are, whatever yeah. place, if they're not in there, sit in a situation that makes them happy, People spend a lot of unnecessary effort trying to change their circumstances yeah. when, if they put more effort into their habits, hmm. they would have see much more reward and be happier in their life. So basically, the only difference between happy people and unhappy people is that happy people practice habits regularly, every day, in fact. Healthy habits. Uh, healthy habits, healthy strategies, happiness strategies. So that's another that's another huge part of the course is learning a whole lot of strategies to help so you be is, happier. Is um, like doing a gratitude journal, is that a healthiness habit? Exactly. Okay. Yep. Gratitude and journal for like sure. Exercising. Exercising for sure. See, you already have a lot of yeah. them. <laughs> <laughs> but it, theoretically, if you, even if you didn't have a very good genetic history with happiness, yeah. if you had maybe depression in your family or something like that, if you were working on those habits, you could really elevate your happiness set point even with, but, oh, actually I forgot to say, there's a new field, emerging field called epigenetics, which shows that our genetics are not predetermined like we mm -hmm. we can influence our genetics in really? positive or negative ways yeah this is kind of like a new field people always thought that's your dna that's i was like my dad i'm going to be just like my dad right but now new research is showing that actually genetics can be modified according to your habits oh interesting yeah so theoretically you could increase your happiness set point by 90 percent oh wow if, even if you had re really uh unfavorable even if your genetics weren't that 
Do you promising. guys talk about mindfulness at all with happiness? For sure. Yeah. yeah, mindfulness definitely is a so meditation is one is one is that a habit? one recommended strategy for right. plugging into soul. Right. Certainly one. And for me, when I was teaching the pillar of the soul, which I would say is one of my weakest areas, mm-hmm. connecting to the higher universe, yeah. the higher power. But one strategy is definitely being in nature. Mm. And having experiencing the silence of nature, and it, I remember being in my twenties when I was in Vermont and just, or in upstate New York too, um, hiking for hours on end mm. by myself and just being with the pine trees and the lovely pine pine needle smells and uh. and just hearing birds and silence, and I felt so happy and connected and. That's a nice memory. Speaking of yeah. memories, whenever I go anywhere, that of course, like most people have this experience, the green, yeah, yeah, so verdant, we kind of forget, <laughs> lush and green, mm-hmm. yeah, that the world is so green out there. Mm-hmm. So you're teaching one more class to this group next week, yeah, and okay. then um, I was thinking about maybe doing an online happy for no reason class for SAS teachers. I don't oh, know. Perfect. I don't know if it'll oh, this is like a plug. <laughs> It's my unintentional shameless plug. Shameless plug or unintentional plug. It is. Oh, and I have a new book coming out. Just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, But I I had. I was thinking it could be called Happier 2023. Yeah. So I've been talking to some people at the central office a little bit, but Mm -hmm. uh, I haven't heard anything lately. uh, Hello. Also, anybody there? (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, But but uh, Teresa Radcliffe has been. Oh yeah. Very responsive. So great. We'll see. Because you're doing a community class. In-person class in RT. She she suggested in-person because she said people were tired of online. So sure. I said, okay, well, let's go with it. So we'll see. I might see lots of parents or people I've never met sure. before. I'm, I'm open to the new adventure. Yeah. So I want to say one more thing. Yes, tell me. Okay, so I'm in this... Right now, another lady who's in charge of your year of miracles, Mm -hmm. um, this woman, Lisa, she actually runs a very successful podcast in Los Angeles called The Aware Show. Okay. She has all kinds of wellness and people on her show. She started a group called Mastermind Your Mission. Oh, cool. So when you said passion project, I was (laughs) thinking, oh, yeah. Yeah. And it was really fun. I was online with her last night, she and her sound engineer, and then myself and two other women. And guess who the special guest was last night? Marcy Shymoff, oh, wow. the author, my teacher. And I had never talked to her one-on-one because there, there were 250 people in the class. Sure. And then she, and I introduced myself, and she said, Hi, Mary Beth, I know you. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so kind of like talking to like a mini little celebrity. <laughs> yeah, for sure. My mentor. Yeah. <laughs> so it was exciting. To and s- what did she say? What did you guys talk about? Well, I, I said to her that I've started teaching the class to some teachers in Saudi Arabia and she was so happy to hear that. She was like, oh, that's great. Wow, you're in Saudi Arabia. Cool. So anyway, that was fun. That's amazing. finally meet her, talk to her one-on-one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm so glad that you've like embraced this huge, like, (laughs) I mean, you really went in, you really dove in. I did. I know. I thought, okay, I was trying to just go step by step. I thought, okay, I'm going to finish the class. I'm going to get my certification. And I did I did it all. I got my, my, my videos and I took my online happiness exam all before I left the States to come back here. And then I got, became certified on August 14th. Wow. Yeah. So how does it, like, does it like 
feel different for you? Like, if you put yourself, like, a year ago, 365, in November, like, kind of just yeah. walking down this hallway a year ago, and then now, like, what, how does it feel on your inside? Oh, that's I, that's such a great question. I feel, I feel so much better. I just feel much more content. Content. I do. I feel... I feel like no matter what happens, everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And it's been, a, look. It's it's been kind of a stressful year yeah. to start with. We, we've had some pretty intense kids yeah. <laughs> start yeah. at our school. Yeah. And, uh, but no matter uh, what happens, it's going to be okay. It must feel so freeing. Yes. Right. Because we're, during COVID, it really didn't always feel that way. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. a lot of uncertainties. Yeah. Yeah, that was a rough period. But now it just, you said content and Mm -hmm. it just... I think what I have to work more on for sure is meditation. Mm, I do too. Meditation and probably a gratitude journal every day. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say I'm very consistent with it. But I was thinking about the Yale class that... There was also a free Harvard class, and and Marcy actually said that Harvard and Yale, at both of those schools, yes, the number one most popular class was happiness. Yeah, and uh, says a lot about our kind of society, right? We're we're kind of desperate for like the research and like the formula for happiness and Mm -hmm. what makes us happy. Yeah, you said in something I connect to. um, You want to work on your on your meditating and and gratitude. What is preventing you from? prioritizing meditation and doing that I feel like I I'm not very skilled at it Mm. and so like I'll sit down to try to meditate or read about doing Mm. meditation and then I and then my 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 mind wanders but I did read a book by Dan Harris called 10% Happier. Mm-hmm. I've heard of that. Okay. I would really recommend. There's, there's a plug for a book. Yeah. Um, he, I really liked his, the way he wrote about meditation. And he didn't make it sound so easy. And, and mm. he, he went on a 10-day silence retreat. Yeah. And he said the first few days was so hard. And, sure but yeah. I thought, but by the end of it, he didn't want to leave. That would be really cool. I agree. That might jumpstart my meditation. Yeah. I think it's that. And then just coming home at the end of a long day and being tired. <laughs> I know. I relate to a lot what you're saying. I hear about meditation that, you know, for people like me, a beginner, that mm-hmm. they say start small, you know, and just do like two minutes and, yeah. and then you just right. start two minutes yeah. and then work up from there. And then you work up to people that, you know, do hours of meditation mm-hmm. and, and things like that. But right. so when I hear two minutes, I think I've got two minutes in my right. day. I can do this, mm-hmm. but I haven't yet prioritized right. it and found a place mm-hmm. for to fit into my life. Or I also think, oh, well, I'm not sure if I'm doing it right. It's something I can keep working on for sure. Me too. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Every, mm-hmm. like, I believe in it. I've read about it. Yeah. I just, I love it. I under, like, mm-hmm. but, and I just don't know why I don't do it. <laughs> and there's scientific proof. I know. That it's so beneficial for your mind and body, your I whole body. Know. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> we could maybe like support each other on this. Right. That's a great if idea. If you do it, tell me yeah. so I can be like, darn it. And then I'll and do it. If you'd like to join my, uh, continuation support group for after the happy for no reason class is over. That's I awesome. I don't see why you couldn't join, and I could give you sort of a, like an express version of the, that would be of amazing. The class. Tell yeah. me about the big jar that's in your window of your office. Oh, right, the blame, shame, and complain jar. Yes. So this was an activity as part of the class. Yeah. 
And it was designed to raise awareness of how often we blame. Yeah. We blame others, we blame yeah. ourselves, or we shame ourselves, mm. or shame others, or we complain. Yeah. I mean, people average complaints per day, just the average person, 70 times. Holy cow. 70 complaints in a day. Yeah, and you don't even think about it. I was asking teachers to put one real in for each complaint, each time they blamed, shamed, or complained. And how much was in that jar? Oh, oh, I can't remember how much. It wasn't that much, but I think people, I mean, some teachers were like, can I pay by credit card? (laughs) Because I have a lot of fun. I owe owe you a lot of money. (laughs) Then somebody threw in some play money, too, just to be funny. Oh, that's funny. It was, I think, helpful to... To visually demonstrate, sure. At any rate, and kids asked about it. I've heard they about um, people put like a rubber band on on your wrist, and then when you are, I don't know, maybe you'd pick one, blame, shame, or complain, and when you do that, you switch it to your other hand, yes. almost just as like a mindfulness, mm-hmm. like just to be like, right now, I am blaming myself mm-hmm. or somebody for this action, just to kind of, yeah. Do you know that? I've technique? heard of this. Yeah. yeah. I, at least I thought you were gonna say like. Each time you blame, shame, or complain, you had you to snap like, your <laughs> wrist. <laughs> that wouldn't be you very know, nice. I mean, that would be it would serve the same purpose, right? right. It's be, it's about being mindful mm-hmm. of what you're doing and your actions, yeah. and um, kind of uh, switching your inner dialogue, right? Right. Yeah. Um, it's hard, though. It is. It's it's, in, but after a few days of being more aware of it, you just really, you you do become more aware of it. Yeah. Yeah. Is so. there any research on longevity of life for happier people? <gasps> yes, there is actually. Um, I think um, happier people end up living at least seven years, seven Holy to cow. nine years longer than unhappy people. Yeah. That's amazing. It is, yeah. And people who are happy people who yeah. have are who have supports at school, you know, yeah. friends at school, are fifty percent more engaged. Right. At I work. That. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's part of the reason we're doing this podcast. I feel like we need to kind of like get a little more connected with the people we work with. Exactly. This has been such a joy and pleasure. I wish that we could do this more often. And yeah, um, just maybe we can meditate sometime. We need to do this. I would really like that actually. Okay. Great. And we should maybe try it out. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, All right. Well, thank you. Um, Thank you so much to our very first guest of Just to Know You, Mary Beth. We really, really appreciate it. It was great. Thank you for having me. Yay. Thank you for listening to Just to Know You. We would like to thank our amazing tech man, Mr. Kent Arimura, Sterling McDonald for the podcast music, and the SAES community. See you next time. If you know anyone who you think has a great story to tell, we would love to hear about it. Please send an email to either Angela, Darian, or Kent.